0: Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Danielle Marino.
1: He smacked my ass. I didn't know that I like that, and I'm actually kind of glad that I learned it.
0: That and more, but first, we are so, so grateful. We are so thankful and joyous about all the people who uh, help us out over at patreon.com slash risk. I have to give a shout out this week To Dan Baldwin and Jonas Berg, thank you guys so very much. Uh, We always give a shout-out when someone gives $25 or more per month over at patreon.com slash risk. It's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of bonus content over there. And... Those donations over at Patreon really do. If if you don't think it makes much of a difference, it makes a huge difference from our entire staff. We say thank you so much because it's really helping us out to keep all this running and to even be considering how we might expand on things next year you know so oh also if you want to make a one time donation that is at paypalme show. folks you've probably heard me talk before about the book Grief Day by Day by Jan Warner it's simple practices and daily guidance for living with loss Jan Warner is actually one of my very closest friends she has a background in therapy But that's not the main way that she gained all of the insights that you're going to find in grief day by day. You see, after Jan's husband Artie died, and he was a remarkable person and the love of her life, Jan started a Facebook group called Grief Speaks Out which has almost 2.5 million likes and followers from all over the world. And they all share about how they're coping with the loss of a loved one. That led to all the work that Jan did on this book, open to any page. And there are such remarkable revelations about how grief doesn't follow a schedule or how sometimes you might be devastated and filled with joy within the same five minutes, or how to deal with other people while you're grieving, or navigating unhealthier coping mechanisms or numbness, and so much more. I keep a copy on my bedside table. There are so many brilliant and soulful writers, therapists, clergy, and ordinary people sharing the most heartfelt testimonies in this brilliant book and don't take for granted the holiday season can be especially challenging for you or maybe for some of your loved ones who might be dealing with grief so wherever books are sold go get grief day by day simple practices and daily guidance for living with loss by jan warner
2: imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt Exclusions
3: apply. See site for details. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master new skill.
0: Hello kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, this is Speedometer behind me now, and we are calling this week's episode on Closer Inspection. Before we jump into it, though, I want to remind you that our next Risk live show is at Caveat in New York City on December 15th. It's 7 p.m. Eastern. It'll be simultaneously live streamed on YouTube. You can get tickets at risk-show.com tour. And it's our final live show of 2021. This year has been so poignant to be on stage again we haven't been able to start touring again yet and we haven't been able to start our Los Angeles show yet but all of that is coming in 2022 and one of the things I personally have been so thrilled about very recently is that I've started seeing small room theater again you know (laughs) I've been so touched by how beautiful it's been these risk shows back at Caveat that I thought, I I should really be seeing a lot more of this kind of stuff myself too. People's solo shows and stuff like that and yeah, it is just soul food. I mean, you know, the big Broadway shows are also fantastic, but those small room sorts of shows where there's just such a communal feel, you can really kind of feel the people around you and, and the Connection between the performers on the stage and the audience is so direct when it's that intimate. So it's really been helping with my psychological state to be getting together with friends and going to see shows. Okay, now remember how we love to have you guys send in your little anecdotes? Well, there is one coming up on this episode, Major Sharp is sharing one, but before that we're going to hear from Jenny Jaffe. Jenny is a writer and actress in Los Angeles. She's been on a ton of things. She's been in Rugrats, Teen Titans, she's writing for Mystery Science Theater 3000. This is another one of those stories that we found in the archives that have never run before. It was recorded in 2014 in New York City. Here's Jenny Jaffe now with a story we call Too Much. Too Much.
2: I'm gonna tell you guys about the most scared I've ever been, and that's saying something, because look at me, I'm scared all the time. <laughs> when you're 21 and you're handed your dream job, you kind of don't think you can fuck it up. You have no reason in your hubristic ability to drinkness that you will ever be fired from anything. At the start of my senior year of college, I was given a job as a staff writer at College Humor, which was too much responsibility for a 21-year-old. I was going to class at night and working during the day and admittedly not working as hard at either as I could have been. When I found out that they were not renewing my contract, I was shocked and horrified and saddened and high as a kite. One of my very good friends uh, was dealing marijuana back in those days, and it was kind of an all-you-could-weed buffet for me. I was high all the time. I was high in the morning. I was high at night. I wasn't generally high at work, but if it was six o'clock and somebody at the office was holding, who knows what was gonna happen? You can imagine my shock and dismay at the job I had rightly lost. It was the first time I'd had to face the fact that I had graduated and I was a grown up now. This was August after my senior year ended. For about two weeks straight, I pretty much sat in bed and smoked weed out of this cute little vape, has like a battery that goes in, you like press it really hard and it barely works. A week later, Hurricane Sandy happened. And a week after that, my roommate, let's call him Seth, returned from Los Angeles with a bar of medical-grade edible pot chocolate. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute, because if you've done edibles, and you had at that point never done edibles before, mistakes can happen, guys. (laughs) The very night he got back, we split the bar three ways, my uh, two roommates and I. And for about 45 minutes, everything was great. Because nothing had happened. And I'm gonna tell you what happened from their perspective now, because I don't remember much of it. I didn't think it was sinking in. We smoked a little more. I grab a box of lemur cereal, it's the Enviro Kids kind you can get at Whole Foods. There's a spot the difference puzzle on the back. And one minute I'm happily looking at it, trying to spot the differences. And the next minute I'm hurling the box across the room. The cereal's getting everywhere, and I am screaming, The lemur has three heads! My roommates try to calm me down. They turn off the lights. They put on this video that we always thought would be really funny to watch. Hi. It's Rick Astley's "Never Gonna Give You Up." Slow down eight thousand times. <laughs> it sounds to me like the music of the gates of heaven opening because this is the end. For the next hour or so, I proceed what I later describe to do as um, slipping through the folds of reality. <laughs> And it just feels like I'm just falling backwards and backwards and every couple minutes it's black and then I'm awake again and I realize this nightmare is real and it's never gonna end. And what the fuck is that thing, Seth? Oh, that? It's the Barack Obama mask I bought in LA. Keep that in mind, guys, that comes back later. Eventually, after what is the worst panic attack I've ever had. Again, great competition for that title. Ladies and gentlemen, I am a Jewish comedian in New York. I have had some fucking panic attacks, but so few of them have led to uh, what happens next. Eventually my roommates uh, think to text my friend uh, incidentally the same one uh, I had been getting my weed from he comes over as the only sober party. He helps me get into bed He turns on the TV. It's an insanity infomercial Which is a terrible thing to see when you actually think you're going insane. I start to hallucinate that I think he's made of clay I tell him everyone's been trying to trick me all night and he needs to get mad at them for me because I can't do it for myself. He realizes the commercial's a mistake and puts on a DVD I happen to have close by called A Panda Is Born. (laughs) And eventually I fall asleep. I'm gonna tell you the next sequence of events that I was not there for, that happened in the eight hours between when I fell asleep and when I woke up still high as balls the next morning. My roommates play Borderlands in the living room. Neither is very good at it. They get increasingly high, but everything seems okay. They eventually go to bed. Around three in the morning, uh, Seth gets up to go to the bathroom. He and our other roommate, Jeff, share a room Jeff suddenly hears a crash and goes running, and finds uh, Seth on the floor of the bathroom having a seizure. He calls an ambulance. The ambulance takes Seth to the hospital. I wake up the next morning to two pieces of news. The first, Seth has been hospitalized because he had an epileptic episode. The second, it's election day 2012. And I have two thoughts immediately. The first, I have to get to that hospital. He's been there for me. There's so many things, I have to get to the hospital. And the second is if I sober up in a world where Mitt Romney is president, I will assume I've fallen through the rabbit hole. But item one is to get out of bed. And that takes from 10 in the morning till four at night. Uh, my sobering up method is uh, to drink an entire thing of cranberry juice while watching SpongeBob. It kind of helps because I had been this level of high that wasn't even high. It was just, it was just, it was just this level of gone, and now I'm just normal, terrible trip, panicky high, which is more manageable. And I eventually do get up, and my other friend comes down. She takes me to my local polling place. I start yelling about how there are skeletons everywhere and can anyone else see them? And she says, yes, it's almost Halloween. There are Halloween decorations. It's a high school. But I can't remember how to sign my name. And I get to the front of the line and I stare at the place where it says signature. And I can't for the life of me remember cursive. So after About 10 minutes, and letting other people go by, I come up with three squiggles. (laughs) And hope nobody notices. And I sneak my friend into the voting booth with me, and she makes sure that I vote Democrat, because I am sure somewhere that I'm gonna sabotage myself, and I will never forgive myself, and I will never look my mother in the eyes again. I leave the voting booth, and I go to a hospital. If you've never been to a hospital incredibly high, you're missing out, guys. <laughs> because sometimes when you're high, you assume everybody's an authority figure undercover. Nope. Everybody here is just an authority figure. And they do know you're high, they're trained to know you're high. <laughs> but they will take sympathy on you because it's apparent you've been crying. <laughs> and they will bring you to your friend's hospital room where he's been screened to make sure that he, there's no brain damage here. And they tell him the incredibly comforting fact, you know, high or not, sometimes adults just get seizures. And I'm sitting on his hospital bed, and I'm jobless, and I'm scared, and I'm not 100% sure I voted Obama, and I get an email from my manager, and I've made it to the second round of applications to be a writer for a brand new late night show. And the second round of jokes I have to write are due tomorrow. (laughs) And I sit on my roommate's hospital bed, and I'm not 100% sure he's not made of clay. And I briefly consider faking a seizure so that I too can get on an IV trip. And I too can sober up, because I need this job. Because I'm not gonna let the fact that I was wallowing for three months about the fact that I didn't have a job ruin my chances at ever getting another. Because it's amazing I'm getting this chance at all. Now, there are two sort of end notes to this story. The first is that I got the job which, I think it's karma because I ended up voting, which was, I, you know, in retrospect, like, I'm really proud of myself for doing that. You know, civic duty and all. And the second is that six months later, I start having these really bad flashbacks. And I've heard about them for acid, and I've heard about them for being in the army, and I've heard about them for suffering abuse. <laughs> but I've never heard about them for a night that involved throwing boxes of cereal and having my roommates play Borderlands 2 while I slept. But it turns out, I kind of had an excuse. Because we get a call from my roommate's source in Los Angeles, who we got the chocolate from. Three out of four people who ate edibles from that same batch ended up in the hospital because we'd all taken six times the recommended medical dose and the weed was laced with PCP thank you
4: oh my god this shit is not fun man I can't stop thinking about weird ass shit And I'm fucked up, I'm about to call my mom up and tell her what's up. This sucks, I'm high as fuck And I was trying to get a little buzz So I took a little puff But I think I'm way too high And I ain't wanna come off like a bitch So I took another hit But I think my brain's too fried And yeah, I'm fucking faded But I hate it I'm praying that I make it Afraid I'm going to die I'm too blazed It's too late To save Diggy from this fucking place Cause he's too high Oh my god this shit is not fun, man. I can't stop thinking about weird ass shit. Hey, but like, I've been thinking about, like, when the sun go behind the clouds, like, what does it do? <laughs> like, does it smile? Like, what does it do? Does it show its dick? <laughs> it's got, it's something to think about, is you know what I'm saying. Like, it's doing something, and we can't see it. So, like, what, what's it doing? I don't even know, like, what it's doing. Because if it's showing his dick, I'm trying to see that. I bet the son got a (laughs) big-ass dick. Alright, I
5: gotta go to bed. It's my first day of preschool. There are 15 four-year-old kids running around, screaming at the top of their lungs. And then there's me. I'm standing by myself, completely overwhelmed by all of the chaos and the commotion. I look around the room, and my eye is drawn to this huge playhouse where there are a bunch of other kids playing, and I decide I need to get over my fears because I want to go investigate. I make my way over to the playhouse, and I peek through the door. I see this little boy standing in front of a toy stove. He looks over at me and shakes a spatula. He says, Hey you, get out of my kitchen. Food will be ready in a minute. All I can do is stand there and stare at him, because he's the very first black person I've ever seen in my life. And the only thing that I know about black people is what I've learned from my grandpa. My grandpa taught me, young man, you need to watch out for black people. They'll hurt you and they'll steal from you, and you need to stay away from them. And as far as I know, my grandpa's right. This little boy has it out for me, and I need to stay away from him. A couple weeks later, the teacher announces that she's going to put us all into pairs, so we can ask each other questions. She says that I'm going to be put with Aaron, And I quickly figure out that Aaron is the little boy who scares me. We're sitting together awkwardly until finally Aaron asks, Hey, um, what's your favorite color? I really like green. And I tell him, well, I don't like green a whole lot. I prefer blue. Oh, okay. Um, what's your favorite animal? Oh, I like dogs. I I have a dog at home. Oh, okay, I I don't have a dog. I have a cat, so I like cats a whole lot. What about your favorite food? I I like mac and cheese a whole lot. That's my favorite food. And I look at Aaron, and I ask him, Wait, really? Your favorite food is mac and cheese? That's my favorite food. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love mac and cheese. It's the best. And we talk about this at length, like any two four-year-old kids would. And as we talk to one another, I realize that Aaron is just a little boy just like me. He might have a different skin color, but we're really the same. And from now on, whenever I have a disagreement with somebody or I see somebody who's different and I want to judge them, I think to myself, maybe their favorite food is mac and cheese as well.
0: This is Risk. this is Saeed Ababa Taliba behind me now, and we just heard from Major Sharp. That was an anecdote sent in by one of you. You want to send us one of those? Go to risk-show.com slash anecdotes. All you need to know is there, and we want to hear yours. So that'll be a little something you could do in the new year, for sure, if you've been putting that off. And before that, a little interstitial by our episode editor, Jeff Barr, made from portions of a song by Lil Dicky. Now, I know if you're like I am, you're probably still <laughs> trying to figure out how to get gifts for who for this gift giving season well one idea is the risk book which can be found wherever books are sold you can definitely find it at amazon at least and another is a gift certificate to a loved one for classes for workshops at the story studio if you go to the gift certificates it's all there Think what an awesome gift that is. It's a social sort of thing. They're with other students. They're getting creative. It's edifying. They're making sense of their lives. There's so much to gain from jumping into storytelling. So give the gift of storytelling this season with the Risk book or the gift certificates over at thestorystudio.org. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, our final story this week comes to us from danielle marino this is danielle's first time on the show it's not her first time sharing stories though she works at first person arts in philadelphia one of our favorite storytelling institutions you can find first person arts on all of the social platforms at First person arts. And here is Danielle Marino now at the Risk Live Show at Caveat in October, just a couple months ago, with a story we call All the Capabilities.
1: My first date with David was pretty bland, to say the least. We had big chicken and like fried fish, and it was really easy. And we met at a chain restaurant. He walked me to my car. He hugged me. No kiss. And we drove off our separate ways. I had never been on a date before that... They didn't try to kiss me. So I was like really worried. I'm like, had I done something wrong? So I was very happy when he asked me for a second date because I wanted that kiss. It is what it is. (laughs) Um, So we met at a local-ish bar. And when I say local-ish, everyone, I mean it was 10 minutes from him, but 35 minutes from me. It's all right. I'm a mom, a single mom at that. I had a babysitter. I would take that drive wherever it needed me to go. So we met at this Irish-style pub bar. There had to be maybe no more than 10 people in there. It had a nice L-shaped bar, and I was the first one there, which was great because I was late the first time around. And so I got the corner of the bar seat so I could see everything. He walked in. He looked great. Had a nice white t-shirt on, some denim, flannel, his old chukka boots, tousled blonde hair, and his glasses. And he made his way over to me, nice and confident. So we sit down, and he orders a drink from the bartender. I had already had a drink, guys. I ordered a glass of wine ahead of time. And the bartender says, will that be all? He says, you can put hers on mine. And the bartender says, no, no, she's all paid up. He says, okay. Bartender walks away, and he looks at me, and I can feel him looking at me, and he puts his hands on my thigh, and he squeezes real tight, and he puts his lips real close to my ear, like so close that I can feel the warmth and like the moisture coming off of his breath. And he says, never do that again. <laughs> Night, I was shocked. I had been salivating when he walked in, but like in that moment, my mouth had gone completely dry. And the only thing that I could say was, okay. And so he released his grip, and the night went on. We laughed, we drank, he paid for the second one because I never did that again. And we continued the night. And he says, Do you want to go get a cup of coffee? And I said, no, no, it's way too late for coffee. I'll be up all night. He says, do you want to go find a place to make out? And I said, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> and we went. And so we walk out to the parking lot. And he's parked two slots up for me. And I look at his car. And I'm like, man, God really knows how to come in handy. I had had a really crappy car that year, and I was praying for a new car. And I had been praying, God, I really would like a Nissan X And so when I walked into the parking lot and I saw this Nissan X Terror there, I was like, Yes, thank you, God. And so we get in the car, and he starts kissing me, and he laces his hands in my hair, and he pulls it, and he goes, This console's in the way, and I think I know a better place. Do you want to go? And I said, "Yeah, that would be great." <laughs> and he drives off. So the engine roars to life, and on the display screen it says, "He saved us." And I'm listening, and I'm listening to the lyrics, and listening to the song, and I'm like, "Is this Christian rock?" I said, "Is this Christian rock?" And he goes, "Yeah." I'm kind of into religion, and I said, "Oh, me too." <laughs> it's a really nice subject. I like to talk about it. And he goes, "Yeah, me too." And we sat in silence for a little bit longer as God saved us. Uh, and we drove down a street, and we made a left. And I couldn't tell you what street it was today, tomorrow, or any day in the past. And then we made another left, and then a right, and we ended up on a very dark cul-de-sac it was the holiday time and i remember because i remember seeing halloween decorations on one lawn thanksgiving on another and christmas on another so like this block had all the seasons covered um but it was only one half of the cul-de-sac that was houses the other half of the cul-de-sac was all trees very dark there were no street lights on this street and so he pulls in and he turns off the engine and he looks at me and he goes you look beautiful and i'm like thank you (laughs) I appreciate that. It had been a while since someone had said that to me. So, it, you know, it felt good to hear it. And again, he slides his hand behind my neck and he pulls me in and he starts kissing me over and over again. And I'm like, it's very intense, it's very passionate. And he says to me again, This console is in the way. I said, Yes, it is. (laughs) He says, Do you want to get in the back seat? And I said, Yes, I do. And so we both hopped out because, and when I say hop, I mean like I look tall here tonight, but I'm not tall on a regular basis. And he was maybe an inch taller than me. So we both had to kind of, you know, jump out of that car at the same time. And so we did. We jumped out of the car, we got into the back seat, and He leans over and he starts kissing me and he pulls me on top of him and it's great because being short, you got lots of headroom, especially in like a car like that and we're kissing and things are going great and then the next thing I feel is his hand around my neck. I can feel his index finger and his thumb pressing right under my ears and I'm shook. It had never happened to me before but I liked it and so I kept kissing him and I pulled back as his grip tightened around my neck and something in me said, this man is capable of great harm. But I didn't stop. I kept going. I didn't know what kind of harm he was capable of but I continued on and then the next thing I knew is he was on top of me and it was passionate and it was animalistic and I felt like this is what I had been praying for I was in heaven with a little bit of pain but it was okay and so the night proceeded on just as you think it would and we climaxed together and we felt great together and In that moment of his hand around my neck, time did stop. And I kind of began to remember this as I sat there with him when we were all finished. And I said, I am in the woods with a stranger. I haven't reshared my location with my best friend since I left that Irish style pub. He could kill me and no one would know. And I kissed him again. And we hopped out. And oddly, he had a lot of towels in like the backside of the Nissan Xterra, And I didn't know why. And to this day, I still don't know why. Maybe he was really into cleaning his car. But needless to say, there was no issue with cleaning up in general that night. And so he drove me back to my car, which was still at that bar. And he kissed me goodnight. And he says, I can't wait to see you again. And I thought, I can't wait to see you again. (laughs) And that was it. Kissed me very gently, very calm, sent me on my way. So... I immediately call my best friend because I realize, like, I put myself in a lot of danger. And I'm like, yo, bitch, let me tell you what just happened. And she's like, you did what? You went where? Oh, my God. Like, you didn't even let me know. And I'm like, oh, my God, I know. And she goes, what the fuck? And I'm like, I know. And she goes, but how was it? <laughs> and I said, yo. <laughs> that was everything I asked for. But I didn't even know I needed it. And so she says, all right, well, dude, you got to be like really careful. I'm like, I know, I know. So he says, I'd like to see you again. And I said, great, me too. And so we continue to see each other. That thought, still in the back of my mind, this man is capable of great harm. Never figured it out until I did. But on the second date, I learned a little bit about dominance, which I did not know before. I had been going down on him and I stopped to like say something like you kind of like do in the act and he says, did I tell you to stop? I said, no. And he said, no what? I said, no, sir? He said, exactly. And so I continued. Now the old me would have said, excuse me, what? (laughs) I do what I want, when I want, where I want and how I feel like I want to. But this person in this bed with this man did what I was told. And so I continued on, I continued to see him. And when I say I learned about dominance, I learned it because before we would meet for our dates, he would say, wear your hair this way, wear these underwear, wear this dress. And I loved it because I was a single mom I worked full-time. I was a full-time college student. The only thing that I knew was being in control. I knew about making lists and about picking out clothes for two people every morning. And so it was really nice to only have to pick it out for one person some mornings. But I liked that feeling of being out of control. I liked that feeling of just listening and responding. Just listening and cooperating It was nice, but that thought, he is capable of great harm, it stuck in my head. And so I continued to see him anyway, even with that thought in the back of my mind. And on a rare occasion that I disobeyed him, which would be like not wearing what he told me to wear, I found out what a punishment was. And the first time, he smacked my ass. I didn't know that I like that, and I'm actually kind of glad that I learned it, (laughs) because it was painful, it was aggressive, but it was never malicious, and I didn't know that you could marry being in ecstasy and in agony at the same time. We didn't continue to see each other. We just kind of fell off, and that happens in life. So I continued on with my days and I graduated and I kept going and making those lists and picking out the clothes for the two people and everything. And one day on Tinder, he pops up. I'm like, eh, oh. <laughs> I've been waiting for you. <laughs> and he's, so I swipe right. Cause like, why not? Like if you, if, listen, everybody knows there's that like one person who just gets it as good as they can and as good as you want them to get it. And so you swipe right. But in the meantime, in those three years that we didn't communicate that he is capable of great harm, still kind of danced in my head. And so I finally Googled him and it came up that this man with this uncommon name, we'll call him David for tonight, had been convicted of homicide. And I wasn't really ready for that. To be honest, I don't usually Google the people that I date just because, like, I don't come up in Google, so why do I think you're going to come up in Google? But this one did. So I clicked on the article because, like, come on, guys. Like, he's <laughs> So I click on the article, and it says that this man with the same name was convicted of vehicular homicide, that he had gotten into a DUI and killed one woman, paralyzed another, and walked away unscathed himself and I'm like oh shit that's that's deep like this person really did something so we'll go back to our rematch he says do you want to go out and I said yes I do (laughs) you're right I do it had been a while again so (laughs) we're going out on a date and we're sitting there talking and he says to me it's really difficult to get a job with my record oh what what record what do you mean And he goes, oh, I never told you about my past. I said, no, no, I don't think you ever did. He goes, oh, uh, when I was 22, I got real drunk with a bunch of my buddies from high school and I drove home and I don't remember the night. I just remember waking up in the hospital handcuffed to a bed. And I said, well, did you learn, like, what happened that night? Like, can you tell me the story? And he goes, well, yeah, I did learn that, uh, you know, a mother and daughter were in one car and, you know, the mother had died and the daughter had gone up in flames and tried to save her mother while she was burning alive. And then there was actually another woman who, was hit t-boned and she died so it was actually two people that had died and then he was thrown 30 feet from his car down an embankment and he woke up with not a scratch not anything on him and he says that's when I gave my life to God that's why I'm kind of religious and I said oh Thank you so much for sharing. Now, I was really self-conscious of the fact that I had Googled this man, thinking that he, who had been through so much, could pass judgment on me. Really, we can't judge anyone. But again, I didn't tell him. I I played dumb. And to this day, he still doesn't know that I Googled him. But that's okay because you know what I did? As soon as I Googled him, I called my best friend. And I said, bitch, (laughs) this is what I just read. And she says, yo, you could have died. And I said, I thought the same thing that night. Thank you. You take my heart in the palm of your hands and you squeeze it tight. Then you take my mind and play with it all night.
4: You take my pride and you throw it up against the wall. You take me in your arms, baby, and bounce me like a rubber ball. I'm not complaining.
0: That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Millie Jackson behind me now, and we just heard from Danielle Marino. Danielle is one of the folks who do such wonderful work over at First Person Arts in Philadelphia. You can find them on all the socials at First Person Arts. And that story was recorded at Caveat, where Risk will return on December 15th for our final live show of the year. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, December 15th at Caveat, simultaneously live-streamed on YouTube. You can get your tickets at risk-show.com slash tour. Folks, I want to tell you about Comedy Gives Back laughing for good on december 9th comedians comedy clubs and venues all over the country are pledging to raise awareness of comedy gives back and the laughing for good initiative this one night national holiday fundraiser will help comedy gives back continue to provide a safety net for the comedy community with medical treatment financial assistance and more the COVID-19 pandemic has been devastating on live performance and comedians need help more than ever. You can help too. Consider making a recurring donation on #GivingTuesday2021. No matter how big or small, just text LAUGH to 707070 to donate. Don't forget, folks, we'd like to create a sort of a social event for Risk fans in or around New York City sometime in 2022. So if you're one of those, email me at Kevin at Risk-Show.com and I'll put you on a list of folks to contact when we do that. Yeah, and did you know that you can hire me personally for storytelling training? Come find me at KevinAllison.com. You can also follow us on all of our socials. We're at Risk Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at the TheKevinAllison. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk.
5: I like mac and cheese a whole lot. Wait, really? Your favorite food is mac and cheese? That's my favorite food. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love mac and cheese. It's the best.
0: So please make some Kraft macaroni and cheese. It's much easier.